Since the beginning of time, problems were always resolved via one way only, violence. You know, you try to talk. If we don't find a solution, it escalates a bit more. We still can't find a solution, then somebody gets angry. And if it still can't get a solution, then you break out into a fight. And if it still doesn't get fixed, somebody ends up dead. Before Bitcoin, which is obviously a peaceful revolution, like how do you do it? There was no other way. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, the Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Pseudofin. Today, we're joined by Tony Yazbek, Bitcoin educator and co-founder of The Bitcoin Way. In this episode, Tony walks us through his personal orange billing story and the effects that Lebanon's financial crisis had on his journey. We discuss Bitcoin adoption, violence, and the importance of self-sovereignty. Finally, we learn more about The Bitcoin Way, and how Tony's 20 years of experience in cybersecurity, encryption, and privacy play a big role in the company. But before we jump in, I'll quickly cover how you can support the show. First, you can send us a boost or stream us some sats using a value-for-value value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to the show as a podcast, check it out on Fountain. You can earn sats from listening and you can support us and all your other favorite shows. You can also support us on Geyser with Bitcoin or on Patreon if you want to get rid of your dirty fiat. All our links are in the description. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Even if you're listening as a podcast, head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe to us there. It would be a big help. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Amber App, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, and Geyser. All their information is in the description. We'll be talking a bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here is Tony Yazbek on The Freedom Footprint Show. Tony, welcome to The Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yes, welcome, Tony. Uh, you're uh, the CEO of the Bitcoin Way, right? I'm one of the co-founders. Yes, correct. One of the co-founders. <laughs> yes. Which is an interesting company. Uh, we'll get back into that a little later. But first, a little bit about you. Can you give us the TLDR on who you are and uh, how were you orange-filled and uh, how did you become a full-time Bitcoiner? Sure, absolutely. I come from over 20 years of cybersecurity, encryption, and privacy. So I've been like heavily involved in the IT world for a very long time. Bitcoin, I'd say like a little over five years deep down the rabbit hole. And uh, my story in Bitcoin is an interesting one because I actually wit witnessed the pain of uh, hyperinflation and uh, complete life-saving destruction, you know, before my own eyes, which is what really, you know, woke me up and led me to look for answers to this nuclear surprise, you know, that, that, that just came out of nowhere. I was in Cyprus when it happened and the, the situation that I'm referring to was not the Cyprus one. It was the one next door in Lebanon when the protests broke out and, you know, the whole country was in shambles. And then from one day to the next, everybody's life savings were wiped. Okay, so when you live through something like this, you realize very quickly that this is not a theory anymore. This is not a movie. This is real life. It can happen. It will happen to anyone. No one's immune to it. It's just a question of when your turn comes. And once you live through something like this, it's very hard to unsee it, to forget about it, because the pain and destruction it leaves in its path is really, it's unheard of. Okay, I mean, you have people literally went to bed on a Tuesday, being financially comfortable, a lot of them retired, waking up the next day, nothing's working. This is how it happened. 
you woke, they woke up the next day, you know, you're trying to buy stuff, credit cards don't work. Okay, well, maybe it's a glitch. Call the bank, there's no answer at the bank. Okay, so then, then what? So then, okay, you can't buy whatever it is that you're buying. So you wait, hopefully it'll, you know, resolve itself. One day, two days, three days, news comes out, banks are closed because of whatever bullshit reason they give you. Fast forward three years, money is hyperinflated to God knows what. If you had a million dollars US in a Lebanese bank, you have $300 now. This is what happened. And uh, when you see this, it, it wakes you up in a way that's very hard to describe. You know, like, I mean, you, the, your views on the world change almost instantly in a way that are irreversible. So you start looking for answers. What the hell just happened? What happened here? You know, all, all your life you're told, you know, you go, you work, you make an honest living, you put your money in that bank. When you decide to retire, your money's there. Except no, finally you find out that the money in the bank is not yours. The banks are the thieves stealing your money and they're not giving it to you. And there's nothing you can do about it. So then you dig deeper, you know, how far does this thing go? Who's behind all of this? How was this put together? How was the scam concocted? Since when? You start asking questions. And that's essentially what led me to Bitcoin. When I finally realized that my entire life has been a lie with regards to money, any normal person would, would, would react the same way I did, which was, you know, you get very angry, you know, because you think you're doing the right thing. And at the end of the day, you get completely screwed over and there's literally nothing you can do. Something like this happens once. If you let it happen twice, then you're the idiot. Before Bitcoin, we had no alternative. And this is, was my biggest lifeline if you want because once you survive a disaster having your life savings wiped out you know you go to a, you go to a very dark place and it's not everyone that can come out of it normally i don't want to get too morbid about this but let's just say you know like i've seen very close friends of mine not come out of this i've seen people that i know good people not come out of this and it's not something i wish upon anyone so when i try to pass this message on subtly through orange pilling to try to warn people, guys, this is not a movie. It's not just Lebanon. It doesn't matter where you are. The fiat system is rigged. It's bullshit from beginning to end. It's a concoction by a group of thieves that designed this for this purpose. And before Bitcoin, there was no real alternatives. I mean, the, the, the notion that you don't own your money, that you have to ask permission from someone to use your money, your time and energy. How does that make sense to anyone? How does anyone accept this? I don't. Not anymore, anyhow. Oh, the, the, uh, the first uh, feeling I get is anger, of course. Like, and, yes. uh, I can see the writings on the wall in other countries. Like here in Spain, for instance, the last time I needed to withdraw cash from the bank, they asked me what I was going to use it for. And it's not like it was an enormous sum. And still, even if it was, like, what the hell business of theirs is, uh, is it what I want to use my money for? It's not their money, it's my money. I should be asking them what they're using my money for, not the other way around, right? So so that's I, I, I see that as an absolute warning sign, and, and it, it's everywhere. You hear stories about people's bank accounts being uh, shut down and, you know, the, the, what happened to Nigel Farage in the UK, for instance, and a um, multitude of other people had the same problem. And I, 
I recently read some news from Sweden, where where I come from, where um, the the Swedish krona is now at an all time low against the euro. So it's now t- twelve Swedish krona per euro, and it has lost forty percent of its purchasing power against the euro, which in itself has lost its pur- purchasing power against the dollar in ten years, and seven percent during the last year. But I know since I uh, I changed some Swedish krona for euros half a year back, and it has dropped seven percent since then. So it's not the last year; it's the last half year, which is. A significant amount. I mean, Scandinavia has viewed itself as the Scandinavian countries have viewed themselves as being immune to all of this for a long, long time. But then again, we've had these negative in- interest rates and other fictitious bullshit for uh, a couple of years now. And uh, sooner or later, the shit hits the fan. And after the lockdowns and everything, I mean, Sweden didn't really have lockdowns, but even, <laughs> but still. The COVID measures cost a lot of money in every country. And uh, it's just, as you say, it's just a matter of time. It's it's doomed because it's designed that way. There is no way out of it. They're printing money to reduce the value of the national debt, which, and what that is, is just a mass theft of people's life power. It's it's just depleting everyone's mana, if you will. Uh, I'm curious about Lebanon and what happened there. Like, how much, how close to it is it a civil war go uh, situation there now, or like how how dangerous is Lebanon at this point? And what what happens in a situations like that? Do people start using other means of media of exchange? What's your observation? Well, the thing is, Lebanon is a bit of a <clears throat> it's a city of miracles in the sense that. Depending where you go in Lebanon, you can see a completely different movie. I mean, if you go down, if you you fly down to Lebanon now and you go to a certain part of the city, they live better than Beverly Hills. You you know, you wonder like, how the hell is that possible? But they do. In Beirut, you mean? Yes. Yes. Well, in certain parts of Beirut, yes. But realistically, there's, I think 80 or 90% of the population is, is below the poverty line. It's absolutely horrendous. But. There is a small minority, a small percentage of people that, you know, somehow are still beating the rate of inflation and their money is obviously, well, yes, possibly. And likely that their funds were not in Lebanon when the systems effectively stole everybody's life savings, their funds were out. You know, there was a lot of um, illegal money transfers that was going on behind the scenes during the time where supposedly no one was allowed to take out their money, but certain people somehow were siphoning bill- billions out of the country. And you have no right to investigate h- how this is going on. That's the worst part. So long story short, if you had your life savings over there, today they are 100% gone. And the worst part is whatever's left, you're not allowed to take out. They don't give it to you. You have withdrawal limits that are completely absurd. Yeah, I saw some someone come in with a shotgun to to withdraw money, not to rob the bank, but to get his own money out of the bank. Yes, absolutely. And it happened on several locations, right? Well, of course it's going to happen. I mean, you're you're a hardworking individual. You've got whatever it is that you have in that bank account as your life savings. Your mom is sick. She needs treatment. The bank decides, screw you, I'm not giving you your money. So what do you do? What options do you have? If you do nothing, your mom's going to die. 
So you either let her die or you take measures into your own hand. Now, keep in mind, these people that went into a bank with guns, none of these folks are criminals. These are mothers, fathers, regular good people. Pushed on the contrary, pushed to a limit. Yes, they are victims. Pushed to a corner that they have no choice but to react this way. And this is what I keep telling everybody. I'm like, you guys have no idea when things get bad, good people start doing crazy shit because they have to. It's almost like a survival thing. So these folks that went into these banks with guns, they wanted their money. They didn't want anybody else's money. They weren't robbing anyone. They just wanted their life savings to pay for medical bills for a dying family member. So do you blame them? Or do you uh, now all of a sudden, oh no, they're evil people. They have a gun. No, I, I wouldn't call that almost a survival mechanism. I'll call that an actual survival mechanism. That's the, your only option. It's like when you when you have no means of saving, your your time preference goes up. And uh, I I always talk about this like uh, if you're stripped of all your all of your possessions, your your time preference is uh, as it, the highest it can get. You need Absolutely. to find food and shelter, and you use any means necessary to get that. Otherwise, you're dead. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no other choice. And uh, unfortunately, you know, when, when you bully someone so much, at some point, you know, they're going to push back. I mean, everybody has a breaking point. And uh, it's that breaking point that worries me on a global level, because I've seen it in one place and it was like horrendous. Can you imagine this spreading like a virus in more and more cities? It's hard to imagine. So why isn't Bitcoin adoption more widespread in Lebanon? Well, it's twofold. For one, it is increasing from what I hear. I mean, I haven't been there in, in a while. I have no interest in going back there. I'm absolutely disgusted by the whole situation. But from what I hear, Bitcoin activity is on the rise a lot more now. You have to keep in mind, a lot of these folks don't understand money. Okay, these guys, they, they want immediate satisfaction. They have to eat. So they're not going to take a risk with something that they can't exchange for food. So the big thing over there is the US dollar. So anything, they will do anything to get a US dollar, even though, you know, this is not what they need. They need something that's not going to continuously steal their money and time and energy. But because you have to eat and it's not common enough to exchange, you know, Bitcoin for what you actually have to put food on the table. You're like stuck in a catch-22. This is what I think is happening. And this is, it's like a common scenario in, in, in countries or with people, you know, very limited financial resources. You, you, you're stuck. And it's a, it's a very painful transition. It takes a considerable amount of effort to pass through this storm, to come out on the other side. But some of them don't make it. Some of them do make it, but it's a really huge workout. To, to do this. So time will tell what, what, what will happen, but there's a lot more people mining Bitcoin in Lebanon. I don't know how they're doing it considering there's electricity only a few hours a day. So I don't know how they're actually doing it if they're doing it via natural resources. Lebanon has a lot of natural resources, water being one of them. So I don't know if somehow they're being set up in locations close to that to take advantage of this. Otherwise, the price of electricity, first of all, is horrendously high. And second of all, there is no electricity. It's, it comes in like you, 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 it's rationed for a few hours a day. So you couldn't possibly mine 
uh, anything reliably or profitably for that matter over there. Yeah. So the way I see coin adoption it is the only way to save people in the coming decade when this is going to hit more and more countries at a faster and faster pace. If there isn't sufficient Bitcoin adoption there in the next place it happens to, the, the alternative is violence. There's only yes. that. Like there's there's Bitcoin or there's violence, literally. Uh, with Bitcoin, they can trade so they don't have to use force. If they can't trade, they will have to use force. That's as simple as that. You said you were in Cyprus during the time that this happened. So what was your orange pill moment? Like, um, of course, having seen this and lived through this and all, uh, and all of that must have helped your orange pilling journey. But how did you f find out about Bitcoin and when did the penny drop? So the, this is the obvious solution. Like, were, were you ever a shit coiner? Like, well, what, what's the story there? Yeah, of course, I'm not going to hide or lie about this. Obviously, I dabbled into a whole bunch of stupid things at the beginning. You know, nothing positive came out of it. So that's fine. You Almost know? So, everyone did. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, of course I dabbled into, you know, a few things and learned a few things along the way as well. But ultimately, ultimately my objective was to find a permanent solution to this problem in a sense that I needed to be in a position where no one can steal from me ever again. And it wasn't going to be the traditional route of gold, real estate, none of that nonsense, because all of that can be taken away from you. I came to the, to the very, firm conclusion that nothing physical is safe anymore. Nothing. Unless, unless you have an army to protect it. I get into debates sometimes with folks, you know, gold is, the, is a better investment or buying real estate. I have five apartment buildings. All right, cool. But if an army of five guys come up to you with a gun and tell you, get out, what are you going to tell them? That you have a piece of paper that says it's, I'm, it's legally mine. You can't touch it. They're going to tell you, you have 10 seconds. You either leave or we carry you out. Pick. So unless you have an army to protect yourself in extreme cases, these are what I'm talking Obviously, this is like an extreme case. But when you are in a, in a predicament where the money's gone, people are desperate. People are hungry. People do all sorts of insane things. So you can't predict the behavior that's going to come your way. You have to be ready for it. And fundamentally, since the beginning of time, Problems were always resolved via one way only, violence. You know, you try to talk. If, it, if we don't find a solution, it escalates a bit more. If we still can't find a solution, then somebody gets angry. And if it still can't get a solution, then you break out into a fight. And if it still doesn't get fixed, somebody ends up dead. So we want to avoid this. You know, obviously nobody wants to go into violence or start killing one another. That's, that's not the end game. But... Before Bitcoin, which is obviously, you know, that peaceful revolution, like, how do you do it? Really, how do you do it? There was no other way. Bitcoin, yeah, I mean, Bitcoin defunds the source funding the bullshit, right? And the solution, the way I see it, it's not that hard, but you just have to get the world to see it your way. If everyone tomorrow decides, I don't want fiat anymore, just like this tomorrow, five minutes, they just opt into Bitcoin. We start transacting this, whatever it takes, we'll figure it out. Problem solved. The problem is nobody believes it. You, you can't convince the general public instantly to understand this. Yeah, it's really problem solved for everyone forever, which is, it's, it's really that simple. If everyone's orange pilled, 
There's no yes. more problems. Like Bitcoin fixes this is true on so many levels. People think it's fictitious, but you know, it's like the saying, if goods and services don't cross borders, armies will. And, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a national border or if it's one of your five apartments that you need to save from the five guys with guns. It's the same thing. If goods and services don't don't cross, guys with guns will. At some point, that that's the end game there. Listen, these, these, these scenarios that I'm citing, they may seem a bit extreme, but they've happened. I've seen them happen. This is why I know about them. Obviously, I don't, I don't like them, but it's not a movie. I'm not making this up from my own imagination. This is happening. This will happen when things get bad enough. So um, we try to avoid this as much as possible and try to keep things as civil, civil and peaceful as we possibly can, because that's how it should be. Okay, we have some big news. We have a new lead sponsor, Amber App. They're the number one exchange in the Southern Hemisphere they're rated for the best customer service around, and their global launch is coming. But the reason we're partnering with Amber App is because of the people. If you haven't listened to our episode with Izzy, CEO of Amber App, you really should go check it out. You'll see why it made perfect sense to partner with Izzy and Amber App. That's all I'll say for now. You really have to check it out for yourself. They have loads of great features coming that we're excited to share with you when the time comes. But for now, just Check out the episode, check out their website, amper.app. You can see for yourself why we're thrilled to bring Amber App on as our lead sponsor and partner. So go check it out. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, the privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy to use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. And the best part is they've been making huge improvements to the app. They're really focusing on the user experience adding advanced features for power users, they just keep getting better. You send your coins to your Wasabi wallet and they get combined with loads of other coins using the Wabi-Sabi protocol, so they're private on the other end. Your tracks are covered, so you can work on expanding your freedom footprint without worrying about your privacy. So check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. So uh, is that why you started the Bitcoin way? I guess it is, but but when did that happen and what, what was the idea behind that? Yeah, well, the idea is to ensure that the least number of people get affected by such a disastrous outcome as possible. I mean, the more, the more people I can convince, educate, influence to understand the reality of what's going on and to have them at least take some steps to protect themselves, it almost feels like a mission, like a, like, like a calling, you know, like it's, um, I never want to see anyone go through what I've seen in the last five years. Never, not even my worst enemy. I would wish upon that upon them, but I do know that Bitcoin is technology and most people are not tech people by any stretch. So it's a big, it's a big roadblock for many. And I know this because they've told me, I don't know how to set up anything, cold wallet and all that. I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to lose my money. Forget it. I'm not touching it. All right, fine. So what if I do it for you? Would that help? But then your conversation lasts a bit longer and then you actually get the work done. They see how it works. You explain exactly how things function. Some of them get it. Thankfully, a lot more these days understand it because of the way, you know, things are getting progressively worse globally that the world is just doing the marketing for Bitcoin, which makes our job a little easier in just executing what needs to be done in order to get the technicals out of the way. 
So for, for people that don't know, the Bitcoin way is, as I understand it, it advises Bitcoiners on every level. You guys are, are providing advice, technical advice to people on how to secure their, even if they want a custodian to hold their coins or if they want to do it themselves, if they want to use a hardware wallet, if they want to use a multi-sig, if they want to do coin joins, whatever. You're, you you can provide technical assistance. Absolutely. Like you can think of us as like the IT team of Bitcoin. So we cover really everything. We, from cold wallets to nodes, inheritance planning, no KYC Bitcoin, integrating Bitcoin payments into your platform. Whatever it is that you need around the Bitcoin ecosystem, we can definitely assist with. We don't sell anything in terms of hardware or software. We are pure knowledge service here. So we have zero financial incentives to favor one product over another. I test things personally myself on a regular basis, like a lot of stuff that's on the market, just to stay on top of things and to filter out the good, the bad, and the ugly, make sure what's, what's reliable and what's not. And based on the, on, on a, like a strict set of guidelines that I, I have for these products, I make my recommendations. So for example, for cold wallets, we only deal with and recommend open source or verifiable source. Anything outside of that, we don't even look at. Um, same thing for nodes. Privacy is a very, very big thing. If there's a way to protect your f privacy that you haven't thought of, you know, well, we'll, we will find it. I mean, you have 25 years of cybersecurity here that's coming into play during our consultation. So there's a lot of things that I probably will be thinking of that most people will not consider simply because of my background. And that becomes very valuable in many aspects that most people don't even realize. And we are 100% for self-custody. We don't hold any keys for anyone. I'm not a particular fan of the whole uh, third party involvement. The, le the least, the, the less people you involve in your Bitcoin custody, the better. Like uh, the way I see it is the only person that should be responsible for your money is you. And unless you have implicit absolute trust in someone, you shouldn't be trusting them with your keys. No, agree. Yeah, because pe people problems are a hundred times worse to troubleshoot than technical ones. That's a fact. Like you have the whole multi-sig thing. You have different parties involved, then you have a problem with one of them or two of them. How do you deal with that? One of them disappears. The other one doesn't want to talk to you. Now what? <laughs> That's hard. Yeah. So if you have a multisig, you should probably have enough keys by yourself to, um, to be able to unlock your Bitcoin without the third party. So. If you have two out of the three keys yourself, that's better than giving yes, away two. Yes, or deal with people that you know have like, I don't know, like a 99% chance of you never running into a problem with them, like a mom or a dad or a brother or sister, like not a stranger, unless you've known this person your whole life type of thing. Yeah. So this is a bit of a devil's advocate question. How, how can people know that the Bitcoin way is not biased towards uh, a certain company. How can the customer know that you haven't accepted a big bag of coins from uh, one of these products that you... Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. Um, we, we just don't. I mean, based on our recommendations, you can tell when we consult with someone, for example, they have nothing. They come to us with absolutely nothing. Phase one usually starts with the cold wallet. We have a whole list of cold, like our cold wallets that we've tested and we recommend. You can see from the list, we have like four or five really good ones. So we have no affiliation with anyone. The user can pick whichever one they want. They don't pay us to recommend their products. You pick whatever you want. When you have it, you call back. I'll help you set it up. doesn't really matter. Same thing for all the products. So we are really like a neutral company. This is why. And when we intend to be this way, because we really want to focus 
on providing the truth, knowledge and truth. So we're not going to sweep things under the rug to favor one person over another. If, if something needs to be said, then we will say it if it benefits the people. Bitcoin is for the people. And we're here to ensure that everyone is set up properly in a bulletproof and airtight way from now to the end of time. Yeah, sounds awesome. Sounds like we should have a, a longer call. <laughs> yeah, well, we could. Without an audience someday. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. man. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, uh, as you know, both me and Luke have felt this calling as well. This is nothing, this is not something you choose to do because for fun. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a calling. It, it is something that it, it's an outside force in a way that compels you to do these things because you've seen something and you want everyone in the world to see it because you can see how much better uh, a place the word world would be if they did. And then you just can't help yourself. It's too good to be true almost. And the more you try to debunk it, the more, the more convinced you get. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to meet people where they are on this journey. There's no way you're going to shove thousands of hours of research into someone in five minutes that you just met down the street. Before the Bitcoin way, I was orange pilling people for three, four years for fun. I mean, I, I've orange filled maybe like a hundred folks, you know, just on my own. And these are like casual people, restaurant waiters, barbers, you know, people, that, that, that type of individual. And it all started with a fun conversation. And the way I do it is that I actually show them how it works without explaining anything. I'm like, uh, like the restaurants, usually like the easiest one. I tell people, you start in a restaurant. It's like your easiest playground. Tell them, okay, I'll give you, I'm going to give you your tip. I'll pay you in Bitcoin. Takes two minutes. They're going to laugh. Some of them will be nervous. They have no idea what to do. They all have phones. Download the phone. I like to start them off with a non-custodial phone. So for example, Lightning, I download the Phoenix wallet. A lot of people use the wallet of Satoshi, which is an excellent wallet. There's no uh, denying that. But from a Bitcoin principle perspective, not your keys, not your coins, right? So I want to get them off on the right foot. So you start off with a non-custodial Lightning wallet. At the same time, two minutes, download it, send the funds, done. And they're like, what happened? And they look at the money like, oh, shit. Like, what do I do with this now? That's the next question. Well, now you do nothing. Just leave it and I'll see you like in a, in a few weeks. And you'll see that this 10 or $20 now is actually worth more. And then you'll understand why this is such a big deal. Like a, you pique the curiosity that way before you get into the heavy stuff. But it works. I mean, it works. There's folks that believed in nothing. They thought it was all a scam and they just did it to entertain me, the client. But now sometimes I feel they're more maxi than I am. There are folks that started off with a 1% allocation. Now they're at 60 and that's with zero involvement from my end. These are folks that I bump into like months after the initial conversation and setup, and they're like, Hey, look what I have. So orange filling, you have to meet people where they are. Unfortunately, I don't think the majority will get it before it's too late, but that's because Pain is usually your best teacher, at least in my experience. If you don't get destroyed and wrecked, you'll never learn or you won't be open enough to understand that someone's actually trying to help you. You always come at it from, what's he trying to sell me? Is he lying to me? Can I trust him? Most instinctive human reactions are along those lines. So that's why I say most people will have to go through the pain before they wake up. And my job is to make sure that that number is as low as possible. Yeah, yeah. 
I, uh, I always say that take the orange pill now or be forced to take the orange suppository later. That, because those are the only two choices you have. <laughs> the suppository is the, per is the perfect word for this because that's exactly what it's going to be. I mean, if you have kids, it's your responsibility as a parent to at least consider this. What kind of role model do you want to be for your kids? You know, it's a deep conversation. Bitcoin opens up so many directions in, of conversations beyond the money that are all valid and all center around something that is permissionless and trustless and cannot be manipulated by anyone. I don't know how familiar you are with my rants, but one of the points I always try to make is that you are your Bitcoins. Since Bitcoin is all about keeping a secret, since it's just information, the final resting place for every single Bitcoin is in someone's head. It needs someone's action and someone's deliberate brain movement to do anything. The Bitcoins don't do anything on their own. And the same with the miners and the nodes. They're not the computer doing the calculations. The guy who chooses to buy the computer to run the software to do the calculations, right? Absolutely. So at its core, Bitcoin is a part of each and every one of us. And I find it so insanely fascinating when you start looking at it that way, because you realize quite quickly that the two main things that Bitcoin does to people is that it lowers their time preference because they now have something that they know will keep its value over time in all likelihood. So they can feel more financially secured over time, especially if they're in a place like Lebanon, where you lose money every day from inflation or true for every place, really. But the other thing is that as Bitcoiners, we're incentivized to help one another because Bitcoin succeeds faster if Bitcoiners succeed in whatever endeavors they're engaged in at the moment. So if I help you and you help me, we help Bitcoin and we both gain from that. And that, to me, does something to Bitcoin companies because a fiat company is engaged in free market competition and free market competition is good, but it can be weird when you get lobbyists, lobbying politicians and people getting into artificial monopoly situations and, and it's a, you know, move fast and wreck things uh, sort of situation. So I, I view real Bitcoin companies as, as companies who get this, that they're all incentivized to help other Bitcoin companies and other Bitcoiners succeed. So how do you see that? Do you see a lot of co collaboration down the line between the Bitcoin way and other Bitcoin companies? And I'm, of course, not talking about being biased and getting a, a, a ton of dollars from Ledger. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not what I'm talking about here, but just in general, a collaboration between all Bitcoin companies on, on some level. Do you see that becoming more and more of a thing in the future? Yes. I mean, everything is possible. We are open to have conversations with anyone that wants to have them. We have our principles, though, that we are not going to break or sway from for anyone. For example, we are not going to engage or support any project that does censorship on any level. That's a non-negotiable thing. We won't support any project that voluntarily collaborates with chain analysis, for example. That's a no-go too. We are pro-freedom, pro the right to own your own time and energy. There's no gray zones about this. You know, you're either you're going to do it right or stay in fiat. There's no point wasting anybody's time. We encourage companies to accept Bitcoin and we encourage Bitcoiners to spend a small allocation of their Bitcoin holdings to support businesses that accept it. 
and I say this specifically to fast track the normalization of Bitcoin in the real world for everyday people. In the sense that when Mr. and Miss, Mrs. Joe walk into a store, they need to see cash, credit card, Bitcoin, cash, credit card, Bitcoin, every single place they go. So they start thinking about it as money and not just this speculative thing that you're going to buy and hold and make you like a billionaire one day. That's like a side effect of Bitcoin. But I want Bitcoin to become normalized in the world so that it becomes like electricity, like the internet, like it's something that's always been there. This is how Bitcoin wins. Okay. And the sooner we do this, the quicker we get to where we want to see Bitcoin in our lifetime. Ultimately, I'm convinced Bitcoin will become the global uh, standard for everything. Now, if I want it to happen in my lifetime, there's a lot more people like myself that have to do a lot of work in order to fast track that, that time, timeline. Otherwise, what will happen if you have kids and your kids, the lifetime, maybe their kids, I don't know. But yeah, the more contributions we can offer the world in, you know, in terms of Bitcoin adoption, we will do it. No problems there. Excellent. Luke, do you have any questions for Tony on your mind? Yeah, a little bit of professional curiosity, actually. My fiat job and for the foreseeable future will continue to be in, in cybersecurity. And, and so I'd, I'd like to hear about uh, that part of your background and what that brings to your uh, role in the Bitcoin way. You mean like the security models that we implement? Yeah, I mean, we take security very seriously. Like, for example, before even getting to the Bitcoin itself, we check networks. We can go as far as making sure, for example, that you have a good router in place, that the router is properly set up. Is your computer infected or susceptible to infection? What do you have installed on it? Is it old? Is it new? What are you doing on it? You know, all of these things, we can go as far as to minimizing the risk factor as much as possible, even before getting to the Bitcoin, because all of this ecosystem, all these elements are involved. It's not just a cold wallet and a node and that's it. Your cold wallet, your node, they all go through a router to go through the internet. So if those are compromised, then you possibly have a problem. If your computer is compromised with for like malware or virus, then you have a problem. A big thing that a lot of people don't even know is a risk are the actual cables that they use. Did you know that there are cables that are infected with malware? So you can buy a USB cable, regular looking cable, looks no different from an infected one. You plug this in to your computer, your computer's done because this cable contains a web server, which allows a remote hacker to execute scripts, to do absolutely anything and everything they want on your machine without your knowledge. Okay. Most people have no idea this even exists. I check for it. They think I'm crazy, but you know, once we find something and they're like, what the hell, where did you buy this from? Well, I bought it from some cheap vendor for $2.99. I'm like, ah, oh, there you go. That's why it was $2.99 is because you were worth more than the cable. So all of these details we think about, anything that has to do with Bitcoin, for example, and this is where, by the way, here's a shout out to CoinKite because I think they do a really good job at this. When you buy something from CoinKite, they wipe your data after 30 days. So when you buy something Bitcoin related from another merchant, do they wipe your data? Not necessarily. And the, the, the best thing that CoinKite brought, uh, well, whenever I guess they, they go to conferences and you can, can buy, uh, entirely KYC free, but they, they brought cold cards to Riga, Altakani Badger, and it, it was fantastic. Yeah. But you see, that's because 
I don't know if it's NVK with making the decisions, but their mindset is pure in that sense. We're very aligned in the in direction of the thought process behind these decisions. You know, like privacy is a big deal. So when you buy anything Bitcoin related from anyone, regardless of who it is, the merchant themselves may have a fantastic product. They could be the best people in the world. They get hacked. You're in trouble. And a lot of folks don't even think about this now because Bitcoin is like 26,000, it's no big deal. When Bitcoin's worth $100 million, let me tell you, every hack is a kill shot because it becomes very dangerous at that point because people are specifically after the asset. And those that are hacking exchanges and doing these things, they're not stupid people. They know exactly what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how to get to it. So privacy is a big deal. And if there's a way to preserve your privacy or to protect your privacy, even as far as when you're making your purchases, we will find it and we will advise you on it. And at the end of the day, it's up to you to either take the advice or not. Obviously, we don't compel anyone to do anything. We provide information. So is, is this the only way for Bitcoin to become more secure for the individual user in the future to, to just listen to advice? Or will the free market take care of it sooner or later? Like, how do you see the future playing out when, when the world is getting hyper-Bitcoinized? Obviously, a lot of people will lose a lot of coins, which is good for the people who still have their coins yeah, because yeah. Uh, in scarcity goes up, the uh, number go up. Still, how far into the future do you think services like this will be needed? Like forever? Or um, uh, is it a transitory phase? Or Well, I th no, I, th I think it'll, I mean, it, it, I think it'll be forever. You're dealing with money here. You're not dealing with a table or a chair. It's not a luxury item. Money, it's, it's money. It's, it's, it's something that every human being needs. It's not something that it's an option for them to want to get. You have no money, you have nothing, but you can't live. So securing those funds is going, always going to be an imperative thing to do. The notion of self-custody petrifies a lot of people because they've never had to do it. Being your own bank, it sounds cool, but for a lot of people, it's like, wow, man, this is too scary. So they don't want to do it. And so. You have other services that capitalize on this fear by sort of like mimicking the conveniences of the traditional world into Bitcoin. And everything is okay as long as everything is okay. But as long as, as soon as something goes wrong, then people are like, what happened? And then they, then they automatically assume that Bitcoin is the problem. Look, it's a scam. It's a shit coin. No, it's not. Bitcoin's not the problem. The problem is you sacrificed responsibility for convenience and now you've paid the price. That's what happened. Yeah, it reminds me of the Benjamin Franklin quotes. What is it? Any society that would give up a, a little liberty for a little temporary security deserves neither and will lose both. 100%. 100%. Self-custody is not hard. It's just new. You know, like it's been said many times. I mean, if you drive a car, you're, you're doing something way more complicated than self-custody, but you're familiar with driving a car, but did, were you born a car driver? No, you had to learn it, right? So how is that any difference from learning to self-custody your money? It's not. You just have to be willing to sit down, listen, and learn to protect something that you absolutely need. It's not an option. It's Bitcoin or slavery. You want to choose the convenient, convenient road? Well, you have many governments that'll be more than happy to provide you that convenience.
but that comes at a price. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that picture of a, a, a lion in a zoo uh, and a lion, uh, a proud uh, male lion on top of the, you know, the Lion King uh, image was standing on top of some mountain and being the king of the Sahara and, or uh, <laughs> the king of the Serengeti is the word. And the lion in the zoo being uh, malnourished, but still able to survive because he gets a meal every day from his <laughs> captors, yes. but he's still behind bars. So you choose if you're a real lion or if you're a captive lion, that's the choice you have. You've seen that meme, I guess. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, people need to understand what the word freedom means. Until you actually truly understand what it means and what it represents. And this is why I go back to the whole, sometimes it takes extreme pain to slap you out of whatever coma you're, you're in, to wake you up, so to speak, you know? And then once you, once you get it, that's it, you're done, man. You're, there's no way you're going back to the other side. And thankfully, there's a, there seems to be a lot more people that are getting it. And that's definitely a big step forward for humanity because the alternative to this is very dire. And I don't want to live in such a future. And I don't wish for anyone's kids to have to live in such a future, one that they have no control over. No one has the right to dictate what you do with your life. Absolutely no one. So, so uh, you obviously come from a, a, a com computer security background, but what's your background with economics? Did you study any Austrian economics and praxeology and all of that? Like, no, uh, that's a funny part uh, is that I hated those courses in, 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 in college. The only reason I took them is because I was dating the teacher, <laughs> you know, but beyond, <laughs> but beyond, but beyond that, I was never interested in them. But now because of Bitcoin, I'm far more informed and interested and educated on the matter that I've ever been. I don't think what I know now, I would have never learned in school or college. I mean, there are some amazing folks that have written books, you being one of them that have taught me things that I would have never in my entire lifetime thought possible for me to understand. And that deepens my conviction into what I'm doing. You know, it solidifies the entire found like the ground that I stand on when I'm doing this work and I, when, when I'm helping others, so when they come to the Bitcoin way, it's a really, it's a feel good mission more than anything. The show is also sponsored by Orange Pill app, the Bitcoin only social network where you can stack friends who stack sats. You can connect with your favorite Bitcoiners on the app, make local connections, and even connect with Bitcoiners around the world. You can see what's going on in your area and organize and attend local events. I've been to multiple events organized on Orange Pill App, and they brought Bitcoiners together from all over. And now, with group chat, it's easier than ever to stay in touch with all your Bitcoin friends. The best part is, you know it's high signal. There's no spam on Orange Pill App because everyone pays to be there. So download Orange Pill App on Apple or Android and start building your local network of Bitcoiners. Next up, the Bitcoin way. Their mission is to onboard, educate, and remove barriers to taking self-custody of your Bitcoin. They cover everything from cold wallets to nodes, no KYC Bitcoin purchases, inheritance planning, payments, and more. Whether you're new to Bitcoin or you're an experienced Bitcoiner looking to expand your freedom footprint, or you know someone who this sounds perfect for, the Bitcoin way has something for you. They have a skilled team, well-versed in the Bitcoin space, and their goal is to make all the complexities of Bitcoin as straightforward as possible for everyone. And the best part is you can get started with a free 30-minute call with their team. 
Go to thebitcoinway.com slash contact for more info. Our newest sponsor is Geyser. They are the portal to the creator economy on Bitcoin. On Geyser, creators can monetize their work through their communities in a social and engaging way, and supporters can send sats to their favorite projects. Geyser has also recently integrated with Zaps and Podcasting 2.0, so every Zap sent to a Geyser address shows up on the Geyser page. We have a Geyser fund ourselves. It's the best way to support our show directly with Bitcoin. So whether you're a creator or a supporter, check out Geyser at geyser.fund today. So do you have any book recommendations or content recommendations in Bitcoin? There's a lot of good books, man. Uh, a lot of people like to start off with the Bitcoin standard. Say Fedina Moose is like the go-to. There's a lot of people that start off with that. For some reason, it resonates with them. But there's Jeff Booth's Price of Tomorrow. There's a lot of stuff out there. I mean, I don't recall them all by hand now, but I do a lot of reading on my own whenever I have the, the time. I listen to a lot of good people on Twitter to stay up to date with those topics that were not necessarily my strong point with regards to macro and microeconomics and all that stuff, sometimes even philosophy. Like Robert Breedlove, I listen to him sometimes. He brings perspectives that I've never thought of before, which are very insightful and useful that also help us doing what we do. Sometimes you get a question that's not technical based on the knowledge that you know, you sort of like explain it in a way that the other individual, like it makes sense to them. And you move forward. Like you said, everybody helps each other in one way or another. We primarily provide the tech and knowledge about this, but our knowledge is coming constantly from all other people, from all different directions. We're not narrow-minded just on the tech. No, we want to know everything about everything that has to do with Bitcoin and what we can do to accelerate its adoption and keep contributing to it positively. So do you think people can get Bitcoin without first getting what, what's wrong with the, uh, the traditional system and how they're being robbed by it? The, or is that a required insight? Like you said, you have to have the pain. Like if, if you can understand how inflation is stealing from you is that, and how Bitcoin can't steal from you, is that a required insight for, to get Bitcoin at all, in, in your opinion? It certainly helps make it faster and easier if somebody has been completely wrecked to explain why Bitcoin matters. But there are people that understand it. I've encountered many folks that I've sat down with and explained it to them, but they were open-minded to begin with, to hear what I had to say, to show them like concrete examples as to why, what it is, what's it for, why the current system is no good, why you need an option, and then so forth. Some people get it. Most people... Unfortunately, they don't get it. And the sad part is that those that need it the most are the ones that don't take it too seriously. And by those are usually high net worth individuals, okay, ironically, because they're so rich that it's almost like a form of arrogance, I find. They feel so rich, like you're untouchable. Come on, man, this will never happen to me. Really? There were people worth billions in Lebanon too that woke up the next day homeless, yeah. literally the homeless. Have, the more you have to lose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and another important thing we take by we, I mean, people that are in financial privilege, take the fact that you can buy Bitcoin so easily for granted. For us, it's like we're investing for a better future. So we can easily go buy it off an exchange or you, you buy it peer to peer, whatever the case, you have access to it easily. So, so the people on this side of the planet are doing it as a, 
hedge against what's coming. The other side of the planet is, is using it to survive. There's a very big difference. Bitcoin in certain parts of the world is literally saving lives. They cannot eat. They cannot buy anything without it. So you have to keep a very open mind about this, that yes, Bitcoin serves many, fixes many things, but some people desperately need it. Yeah. I, I, I know uh, from personal experience, one of the things that happened to me quite early in my public Bitcoiner career or whatever you may call it, was that I got a letter from a guy who just recently fled Venezuela and he thanked me for my writings had motivated him to do that. So it was actually affecting a human being's life and in some sh way, shape or form helps them escape a totalitarian regime. And that's was so empowering and such a holy shit moment for me. If it, it can just help someone somewhere a little bit that it has this cascading effects that affects absolutely everyone on the planet in the end. And it's just what an amazing time to be alive. What an amazing thing to be a part of. It's just completely takes over your view of yourself and your view of the world and it's just beautiful you see the flaws in the traditional system and that's tragic and everything but the hope that this instills in people is just great and to your point about the two sides of the planet let's not forget that all the poor people in the world and all the uh, the people below the poverty line they can all accept bitcoin for their goods and services and that's where the real magic happens when you start accepting it for your goods and services. That's where the, where the real freedom comes in, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you see what's happening in places like Nigeria, it's absolutely mind-blowing how they're using it. I didn't even know you could use Bitcoin without the internet. I learned it from them. When yeah. I found out that they can transact without the internet, I'm like, hold on a second, really? Then I looked into this, I'm like, wow, this is where the need like accentuates the functions and the features and things that you've never thought possible because you need them. So when you say you think Bitcoin uh, adoption is going to uh, increase the security and all that stuff, I say absolutely it's going to do because there's, once it becomes valuable and becomes like a must-have, there's going to be a much bigger army of individuals that are going to stand to protect it. It's not going to be left to a handful of speculative people just to make money off of it. No, this becomes a lifeline, like the oxygen for life for a lot of folks. And there's going to be an army protecting anyone attempting to do any, to do something nefarious, to risk destroying it. I'm 100% convinced on this. And a hundred years from now, they will look back upon our generation and possibly hail us as the heroes, as, you know, came up with this and had the courage to stand up and put an end to the abuse that's been going on for decades. In a sense, forever, really. I mean, coin clipping has been around since thousands of years. Uh, inflation has always been in every monetary system. M money needs to have a cost, a production cost. Otherwise, it's not money. It's bullshit. Ab absolutely, so, absolutely. And even simpler than this, the mere notion that somebody can decide how you live your life and how you spend your money, that on its own must be completely destroyed and never allowed to exist again, ever. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Tell because, that to a lefty. Well, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> Obviously, so a lot of people will disagree with me on that point. But <laughs> no, but it's such a it's such a simple thing to understand when you really think about it. Why is it that other people can decide for you what to do with your life and your money? Because your money is your life. It's supposed to represent the scarcity of your lifetime. Your time and effort, your energy is supposed to be represented by this number. And when the number can be printed at will by some, like it's cheaper to write the word dollar because I have to press six, six keys instead of just pressing enter, which is the cost of, of producing new dollars. So the word dollar is more expensive than a dollar to produce. Yes, absolutely. That, that should tell you something. <laughs> absolutely. But the thing is, people need to want not to be abused. Some people just don't care. And it just blows my mind when I, when I see them react that way. I try to frame it in a different way for some folks. I'm like, if I came up to you every day and beat the shit out of you, how long would you accept it? Like I beat you up on Monday, you go home and you cry. I beat you up on Tuesday, you go home and cry. For how long are you going to sit there and let me beat you up? Well, some people are sadomasochists. Uh, okay, but, okay, so. fine. <laughs> but 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 most people aren't, right? At, at some point, somebody's one. <laughs> Apparently, most people are. I'd say since they accept the fiat system. Well, in the past two three years, a lot of things have been very surprising. But yeah, I guess maybe you're right. <laughs> maybe you're right, and hopefully, there's a large amount of people that stop doing this to make a difference, which I think we just need to get to maybe, I don't know what, 10, 15% Bitcoin global adoption and the whole thing just goes nuts after that. It'll become so huge uh, as is that there's nothing else out there that you want no. to transact with, uh, you know? Once you're in it and once you're in these circles and you hang out with other Bitcoiners and you see the other side, it becomes blatantly obvious that how much better this is. Uh, it's just like the life with or without the internet, but on steroids. I mean, it's it's way bigger than that. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Luke, do you have any more questions for, for Tony before we wrap this up? Yeah, I, I think you've given us a great picture of, well, first of all, yourself and the Bitcoin way. And I just like to hear a little bit about the the practical side. What happens if someone contacts you and books a call? Uh, Walk us through the process. Sure. First of all, we always offer a 30-minute complimentary call. And so first 30 minutes are free just to get to know you, see what you want, where you are in this journey and what have you. If, you, if someone's giving an example, someone has absolutely nothing, we obviously start with an educational part just to make sure that they understand what it is that they're getting into, what they're buying, and it's not something that they're going to buy at X to sell at Y. It's not all why we Bitcoin. There's way more value in this than that. Then we get them into... Stage one is usually a cold wallet. We get them set up and configured properly with a cold wallet in well, on that sense. Then we move on to the node, set that up, connect the two together, make sure everything's working, set up wallets properly, desktop, mobile. Once that's complete and understood, we can move on to purchasing no KYC Bitcoin. We show them how to do it because obviously that has its, its value and merits for obvious reasons. We also offer inheritance planning afterwards. And if they have a business, we help them integrate Bitcoin payments into that business and we take it from there. But fundamentally, we want to make sure that everyone at the very least has a cold wallet air gapped connected to a node, which is a must because if you're not fully sovereign or private, if you don't have that node, there's no way around it. 
Without it, you're leaving fingerprints of anything Bitcoin that you're doing on somebody else's server, on somebody else's node. So what you have, what you buy, where you buy, when you do it, there's a trace somewhere. If you don't want this, you 100% need a node. There's no other way around it. Yeah, excellent. And and so you basically take your customers from zero or wherever they are to self-sovereign. That's the goal? Yeah, the goal is 100% self-custody. And sometimes people ask us, do we hold backup keys and all that stuff? Right now, we don't. We don't do this. I want to make sure that you know how to become a sovereign individual. I don't think anyone's too stupid to learn. They just have to want to take the time to learn. And we spend a lot of time and are very patient in the process, by the way. I can sit down with someone for many hours and it wouldn't faze me one bit. I've consulted folks for eight hours a day on the same person because they weren't a technical person. They had many questions. Some of them, many would consider, oh my God, how can you put up with this? It's okay. Nobody's born knowing everything. But at the end of the day, that individual is fully sovereign. They know how to send, how to receive an air-gapped mode, fully secured, fully private. And that for me is a win. Excellent. Well, Tony, thank you very much for coming on to our show. And for everyone listening, go to thebitcoinway.com to find out more about how to get in touch with Tony and his team and hope to continue the conversation. Absolutely. It was, thank you for having me. It was a great call. Likewise. And anything else you'd like to mention, any final thoughts, anywhere else you'd like to direct our listeners to? Well, if anybody wants to find me, I'm very active on Twitter. You can use my Twitter handle, the V4BTC, which stands for Victory for Bitcoin. Or the Bitcoin Way. Obviously, the uh, Bitcoin Way Twitter handle, we're also very active there, the Bitcoin Way underscore. So if you have any questions with regards to Bitcoin self-custody, security, measures, best practices, tips, tricks, and all that stuff, feel free to reach out anytime. Happy to help. Sounds great. Thanks again for joining us, Tony, and looking forward to following everything you're up to and going on this journey with you. Thank you very yeah. much. Oh. Onwards and upwards. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening. So what did you think of that episode with Tony? It was great to hear about his contribution to the Bitcoin space through the Bitcoin way. What was your favorite moment? Let us know. You can send us a boostogram on Fountain, leave us a comment on YouTube, or get in touch on Noster or Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the channel. Our show's sponsors are Amber App, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, The Bitcoin Way, and Geyser. Check out their details in the description. That's all for now. See you next time and thanks for listening. Thank you.